We don't usually give titles to the messages, but uh, the title of today's message is Immersed, Why Your Baptism Matters. At my house uh, growing up, we were big on home videos. I don't know if you were big on home videos. And my family caught the wave pretty, pretty early. In fact, we have uh, some home videos that don't have actual audio with them. It's just the video portion. And then they put some classical music in the background. And uh, I used to love to get those out and watch them of when I was born. And, you know, it's, it's one of the only times that it's uh, fine to be like totally egocentric and say, uh, you know, I want to watch the video about myself. And uh, on the one that was near when I was born was also a scene where my dad was baptized, which is pretty cool. My dad didn't become a Christian until uh, uh, he, he was an adult and right after I was born. And, and so I got to watch him be baptized. But in our church in Missouri growing up, you didn't get baptized in a baptistry at that time in the early, early, early 80s. You got baptized in the river which was awesome. We don't do that here because if I said, who wants to get baptized in the Buffalo Bayou next week? I don't think I would have any signatures, no signups. Uh, you would want to know for sure that you were going to go to heaven when you die based on probably what you would get infected with uh, in there. But in Missouri, the water was a little bit cleaner back then and people would go and get baptized in the river. And so there's an amazing scene the, the preacher, the old preacher, he, he wades out into the middle of the river and he's wearing his church clothes and he gets out there and, and you can see that he's saying something. You can't tell what he's saying, but you can see that he's saying something. And pretty soon after that, here comes my dad. It's the early, early 80s. And so he's got, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone haircut from Rocky One. He's rocking that and uh, a dark T-shirt and he's wearing a cut off jeans because in Missouri, we didn't buy swim trunks. We just took good pairs of dungarees and just cut them off in his early 80s. So they were higher than they needed to be. And you watch him go in to, the, to, to wade into the river and then he stands there with the preacher and the preacher lifts up his hands and you can see what he's saying. You can't hear what he's saying, but you can see in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I watched my dad be baptized. I've probably seen that video a, a hundred times. And even as a young child, I knew that I was watching something special. I knew that I was watching something significant. And baptism is both of those things. It is special and it is significant. And so we're going to talk about why your baptism matters. The word baptism is used many times in the New Testament. That word baptism, it comes from, uh, in all of its forms, kind of comes back to one Greek wor- word called baptizo. And it means to be dipped. It means to be immersed. When they weren't using that word to describe baptism in the way that we think of it, they were using it to describe Uh, somebody who wanted to dye a garment. They would take the garment, they would take the cloth, the fabric, and they would plunge it down into the dye and then they would bring it back up and then they would plunge it down into a second container. Uh, The scripture uses baptism in two ways. First is water baptism, which is what we're talking about today, where you go underneath the water and you come up out of the water. But it also uses it to describe uh, what John the Baptist called baptism with the Holy Spirit. You remember John the Baptist was baptizing people and he said, listen, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And sure enough, that's what Jesus does. You remember after the resurrection in John chapter 20, he's actually with the disciples in the upper room. He's appearing to them and he he says, uh, uh, the scripture says he breathes on them and then says, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Then right before he ascends, one of his last sentences to them is, you're going to be tempted to rush out and tell everybody what has happened and what they should do. But don't. He says, wait in Acts chapter 1 until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem. And that's what they do. They wait in that upper room. They don't go anywhere. They don't tell anybody. They just pray in that upper room. And in Acts chapter 2, what happens is a violent wind comes in. It's loud, shakes the place. Tongues of fire land on them. They begin to speak in languages that they had never heard, probably, definitely had never spoken before. And that was Jesus's words, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit happening to them. So the Bible uses baptism in those two ways. Water baptism, that's what we're talking about today, and spirit baptism. So water baptism, where, where did it come from? You read the Old Testament, it's actually not in there. Just all of a sudden, it appears with John the Baptist. But there were the beginnings, the seeds of baptism in the Old Testament. You go back to the very first pages of the scripture. What does it say in Genesis chapter one? It says the earth was void and of nothing, but the Holy Spirit is hovering over the surface of the waters. A few chapters later in Genesis six, seven, and eight, what happens? Noah comes through the flood. You fast forward Generations and generations and generations, God's people are now slaves in Egypt. They cry out for a rescuer. God sends Moses, signs and wonders, plagues. Pharaoh lets the people go, but then he changes his mind, remember? And he starts chasing them with his army. Then the people get uh, stuck. God's people get stuck between Pharaoh's army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. Moses stands up with the staff, lifts up his arms. God sends a wind. The Red Sea parts in two. The Israelites walk across on dry land. When they get out into the wilderness, on the other side of the Red Sea, safe from Pharaoh, God gives them the law. And part of that law is Leviticus. And in that uh, law, in Leviticus, it tells them about how they should wash themselves ceremonially so that they are clean, especially when they touched a deceased person. You know, one of their relatives dies and they're involved in that. They need to cleanse themselves in a certain way so they can come back to God's house and worship. What do we see? So we see on one side, there was something uh, void. There was something bad. There was slavery. There was nothingness. There was wickedness. And on the other side of the water was something good, something beautiful, something pure, something holy. The seeds of baptism in the Old Testament. About 100 years before Jesus is born, this group of people, they're going to take seriously God's law. In fact, they're going to take it so seriously that they actually leave their cities and villages and they move out into the wilderness. They, they call themselves Essenes, the Essenes. They're not mentioned in the scripture, but they are referenced there in the gospel. So they just live among themselves. And if you wanted to join them, if your heart was stirred and like, I want to be serious about God's word and God's law. In fact, I want to be so serious. I'm going to move and leave and live with these people people out in the desert and wilderness, before they would let you in to their community, you had to wash yourself in an expanded version of what is found in Leviticus, according to the law. And many Bible scholars believe that actually John the Baptist grew up among these Essenes. And you can see some of the symmetry, although we don't know for sure, based on Mark chapter one, when it describes John the Baptist. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River 
as they confessed their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He was preaching, someone more powerful than I will come after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist is out there. Remember, John the Baptist is a a relative of Jesus. His mother, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, were actually cousins. He's probably six to nine months older than Jesus. But early on, he may have moved into this community of Essenes because of the special calling that God had put on his life through the angel when he was yet to be born. And so he begins to baptize people. And what does it say he's baptizing people? He's baptizing for the repentance of sins and forgiveness. It's a baptism of readiness. It's a baptism of, God, we wanna be ready for you. When you send the Messiah, when you send the promised one, we wanna be ready. And it says that people are flocking to him from the Judean countryside, that was the southern part of Israel, and from Jerusalem. It was a 20-mile journey from Jerusalem to the nearest point of the Jordan River. Now, many of you drove more than 20 miles to get here, um, and it was not a big deal, or hopefully it was not a big deal. But imagine if next week you had to come those same 20 miles, but you had to walk. You might say, hey, there are a lot of great churches in this city. We love Bayou City, but we're actually going to go to one closer to our house if I have to walk. But these people, they were walking 20 miles, which would have taken them all day. This was not a go out there in the morning, come back in the afternoon kind of thing. They spent all day, hours and hours and hours and hours walking to the Jordan River because they were curious about John the Baptist, because they wanted to hear what he had to say. And many of those were baptized. So what we see in the scripture is baptism prepared the way for Jesus. Then look what happens in verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. So we see baptism preparing the way for Jesus. And right here we see Jesus being baptized. But Jesus actually also baptized other people. Turn to John Chapter three. Chapter three, verse 22 says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. So Jesus is baptizing other people. It clarifies that in John chapter four, verse one. When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So there's a parenthesis here. There's a clarification. Jesus was overseeing the baptisms, not necessarily baptizing himself. But here's where we're at. Baptism prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus was baptized. Jesus baptized other people. Matthew chapter 28, some of Jesus' most famous words, his very last words recorded in Matthew 
He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. Verse 18, then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that's the command to the disciples. Go and make other disciples. And how are they gonna do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So how do you make disciples? You baptize them and you teach them to obey. That was the commission. So Baptism prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus was baptized. Jesus baptized others. He told other people to baptize other people. And that's exactly what happens. Acts chapter two, as I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit does come. Tongues of fire, miraculous, shakes the building, loud and violent wind, accumulates a, a large crowd. Peter steps out into the crowd, preaches the very first sermon of the very first church and at the end of that sermon verse 37 acts chapter 2 when they heard this they were pierced to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what must we do verse 38 repent peter said to them and be baptized each of you in the name of jesus the messiah for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit so the disciples are baptizing but it's not just the disciples acts Chapter 8. It tells a story of a man named Philip, and Philip was just a regular church member. But he was a church member who served, he was a church member who was filled with the Spirit, he was a church member who had an incredible amount of wisdom, and so he was given some leadership among the church. And This is what happens in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to desert Gaza. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. So he's the CFO of Ethiopia. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. So baptism prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus was baptized. Jesus baptized others. Jesus told other people to baptize other people, not just the apostles, but regular people like you and I. And if we read the book of Acts, just that one book, we will literally see Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people being baptized. If you were to do a study on baptism this week in your own personal time with the Lord, 
You would discover that there is not one main passage on baptism. There's not a big chunk in 2 Corinthians that explains and answers all the questions that you and I might have about baptism. And you wonder why. Why is there not one big clear passage on baptism? It's because in their mind, those very first Christians, there would not have been a world in which you believed in Jesus and yet were not baptized. In our minds, sometimes it's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus and baptism is happening whenever it's happening. But hey, my granny can't be there this time and I really want her to see me be baptized. And so I'm going to wait until the next time. Or, you know, April's really full month for me. And I, I don't think I can, you know, be baptized in April. Maybe the, I'll, I'll catch the next one. And, you know, four years later, you haven't caught the next one. They did not know a world like that. In fact, the only world they know knew was, do you believe in Jesus? yes. His death and resurrection, yes. Be baptized, yes. There was not an option. There was no, you know, I'm really, I gotta pray about it. You know. Believe and be baptized. So we ask the question, what, what's happening when I am baptized? What happens? Two things I'd love for you to leave with this morning, maybe write down. First, in baptism, I identify myself with the people of God in Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter four. In baptism, I identify myself with the people of God in Christ. I remember when I was baptized, I was in elementary school. I I grew up in church, which so many people think is a, a negative thing, but it's really a positive thing if you're dragging your kids to church every week and they're grumpy about it. I just want to say, keep dragging them. Hey, they are not the boss. I don't know if any parents need to hear that today. Your kids are not the boss. You are the boss. And second, they will thank you one day that you drug them here. And I thank God that my mom and dad did not wake up on Sunday morning and ask me what I was thinking about church. So I grew up and, uh, and so there was never a time when I didn't believe in Jesus, that I had some other thing that I was pursuing. Now, there were times that I wasn't fully engaged like I should have been. But So at an early age, I believed in Jesus and, and wanted to be baptized. And I remember the Sunday that I was, you know, I've told you many times that my church in Missouri where I grew up was, was pretty small and, and, and kind of informal. And so baptism happened towards the end of the service. And, you know, you show up and you're in your swim clothes, essentially. It's like, uh, are you going swimming after church or are you getting baptized? Because it kind of looks the same. And I got my towel and goggles and I, no, not really, not goggles, but I'm there, and it came time for that time. And the same great thing, the same old preacher that baptized my dad not too many years before that was the one waiting for me in the water. And I get in, just a little kid, and he says all the things that you say when somebody's baptized. And, and there, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I was baptized. Such a cool moment. Mom and dad are there with the video camera, of course. And, but that wasn't the last thing that happened that Sunday because we had a business meeting. And we grew up Baptist and Baptist uh, business meetings were a big deal because uh, they were Baptists were Americans and Americans love to vote on stuff. And so I don't remember what we were voting on that day. It was not anything of any kind of importance or significance, but I was incredibly excited because if you had not been baptized at this church, you could not vote. And so my whole life I had seen them take votes on stuff and yet not been able to participate. But on the day that I was being baptized, I got the right to vote 
at my church. And so I got out of the water and dried off. I'm still in my wet clothes. I got my towel around me and I go and sit in the front row. My parents are actually in somewhere uh, towards the back and I'm sitting on the front row and the pastor gets up and he explains what's being voted on. Again, I don't remember what it was, nothing of importance, I don't think. And and the way they do it in a Baptist church or the way they, they least to do it in the Baptist church where the pastor would say what we were voting on and he would say, does anyone want to make a motion? And somebody from the back would go, I make a motion. But then everybody somehow magically knew that they needed to be a second to that motion, not just one, but a second to that motion. And, and from the back flying would be, I second that motion. And then I was so looking forward to this because then it was time to vote. And you didn't raise your hand to vote. You got to say, I to vote. That's how you said it. And so he said, all in favor, say I. And at the loudest uh, I could, at the top of my voice, I screamed out, I. And everybody on my pew looked towards me and smiled because they knew my baptism had earned my right to vote in the church. And then they asked for any opposed. And of course, who has the guts to stand up and oppose something after everybody shouted, I. Because at my church, being baptized meant I was a part of the church, officially. And although you're not going to find any voting in the scripture, you're not going to find any eyes, you're not going to find I make a motion or second emotion. What you will find is that baptism is you and I saying, I am leaving this one group of people the world, and I'm coming out of the world, and I am joining a new community, a new faith, a new family. That's where your baptism is. It's a declaration that now I am a part of the people of God in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, the apostle Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. Now he's gonna make an appeal for them to be unified, diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us. And here's the basis for that unity. He says, I want you to be unified. I want you to be together. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. Here it is, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So when the apostle Paul, one of these Ephesians, he wanted them to be together, wanted them to love one another, wanted them to be unified together, he appealed to their baptism. Baptism is a common denominator among the followers of Jesus. Because really, when you start thinking about it, we don't have that much in common. I mean, just think about the person sitting next to you. If you're related to them, maybe you have some things in common. But even if it's your spouse sitting there today, think about how different you are. Came from different places, different stories, different universities. Think about your bedtime routine. Everybody in here has a different bedtime routine. Some young guy in here is like, I just lay down in bed with what I wore to work that day. I just lay in bed. In fact, I've been wearing the same shirt for three days. That's your bedtime routine. And dude, it's unique to you. You might wanna, you might wanna change, right? But then we have on the opposite end, there's some lady in here probably, maybe some man. Now you spend literally an hour just getting ready for bed. What can those two people have in common? Not very much probably, except for one faith, one Lord, one baptism. We're a very unique set of individuals in here. And most of us are odd at best. How can we stay together? How can we be in lockstep? How can we move as one and speak as one? The apostle Paul says, one 
baptism. You remember the earliest followers of Jesus, they were not a majority. They were a fringe minority. And it was a significant thing to say, I'm leaving the majority. I'm leaving (coughs) the herd. I'm stepping in to this new group. You know, baptism should be a unifier, but for many, it has actually divided, which is a a great opportunity to ask the question, what about infant baptism? A lot of us in here today were baptized as infants. And I just want you to know, man, we honor that. We honor that. That says so much about your mom and dad, that your mom and dad loved you enough to have you baptized at the earliest possible moment. It's such an incredible thing and a beautiful thing. And I would say because of that love and care that your parents showed you in that moment, they probably followed through with that. And it's a big reason why you're sitting here today as an adult, as a regular church attender. So when it comes to infant baptism, man, we honor, we honor, we honor. You'll never hear us speak evil of that or ill of that as if that was a terrible mistake. Really, though, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how I feel about it or how you feel about it or what your personal connection is to it or what my personal connection to it is. All that matters is what does the Bible say? We want to do what the Bible says because the Bible is God's word. So it's helpful, I think, to understand why churches uh, baptize infants. Two primary groups that do, uh, Roman Catholics baptize infants, and then certain Protestant groups, uh, specifically the Presbyterians. Those are usually the two groups uh, that baptize the most infants, but they do it for two very different reasons. Um, In the Roman Catholic tradition, baptism is actually what saves you. Uh, you cannot be saved. You cannot be in the kingdom of God through Christ without baptism because it's the ordinance of the church that is the grace of Jesus applied to you. So you need to be baptized if you're going to be saved, if you're going to go to heaven in the Roman Catholic church. They know that an infant can't have faith on their own. So what they say is in the act of baptism, the church will have the faith on your behalf. So you can't believe because you're an infant, but we will believe for you because it's necessary for salvation. So they try to baptize infants as early as possible. And that's really what gives it urgency. I remember the very first time that we had baptism here at Bayou City. I I went to the farm and ranch supply to buy our baptistry, our giant uh, trough. And uh, and I I actually in the yard there of the farm and ranch supply, like laid down in it to make sure that a fully grown person could go all the way. And and it could. And I said, that's the one I want. I paid for it. And we loaded it up on top of uh, my SUV and drove it to Houston Christian High School where we had our first baptism. And in the week leading up to that, uh, a, a woman called me and told me about her granddaughter that had just been born very recently. And she asked, would we baptize her newly born granddaughter? And I said, no, we, you know, we don't do that. And I listed a few reasons why, but those reasons were not good apparently because she kept saying, no, I really want you to do this. I really think you should do this. I really, you know, this is, this is what you should do. I don't You're a new pastor. You're only a couple months in. So obviously you're not getting it right. You need to, <laughs> you need to do it the way. So I started to talk with her and, and hear more of her story about why she felt so strongly that her granddaughter, who didn't even go to our church, would be baptized. And it was because somewhere in the back was this idea that salvation happens through baptism and she could not bear the thought, bear a world in which that her granddaughter would not have been baptized and therefore saved, that she might, something terrible happen, not be in heaven one day with her granddaughter. She couldn't bear that thought. And so she was applying the pressure to me to make sure that didn't happen. Well, that's not what the scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that baptism is about you saying that you believe in Jesus. And 
once you believe in Jesus, once you are connecting your life to him, then you step forward and say, I'm gonna be baptized into his community. The Presbyterians, they, they do it in other Protestant groups. They do it for different reasons. Uh, it's really a combination for them of the sovereignty of God and the parent's faith. Those two things working together, they believe that it is most likely God's will that that child will eventually believe in Jesus one day. So we're gonna go ahead and bless them and baptize them as an infant, kind of a part of the family of faith. And it really becomes uh, more like what the Old Testament describes circumcision, which is, you know, circumcision is not like one of my favorite topics to talk about at church. It's super awkward, but it's in the Bible a ton. You kind of want to be like, hey, dial it down with the circumcision talk, you know? (laughs) But in the Old Testament, they would circumcise newly born young men because in that day, no one was circumcised. So this made God's people unique. It was a unique marker to say they've been set aside as God's special and anointed and called people. And so really when the Protestants practice infant baptism, it's with that same spirit. We, in our family, we are a part of the people of God. We believe God sovereignly is going to bring this child up into salvation. And so we're going to baptize them. The problem with both of those things, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, is that I really don't need any personal faith in Jesus to be baptized in either one. I just need the church and I need my parents. But I don't actually have to personally be connected to Jesus. And and what matters is not an Old Testament practice transition into the New Testament. What matters is what do we see in the Bible? How are people in the Bible baptized? And they're baptized as soon as they believe in Jesus. They find some water. And when that happens, you declare, you identify yourself as a part of God's people. The second thing and last thing I want us to leave with, in baptism, I identify myself with the death and resurrection of Jesus. In baptism, I identify myself with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Romans chapter six. Again, there's not a main passage that speaks to baptism wholly, but Romans chapter six is one of the more significant ones. In chapter five, just so we're all on the same page, the apostle Paul has been writing to the church in Rome about Adam and how when Adam took the fruit and ate it in the garden of Eden, that sealed our fate. And when he fell, we fell. And we were all made unrighteous because of his unrighteous decision. But by God's grace, when Jesus did what he did, his righteousness more than compensated for Adam's unrighteousness. And so because of Jesus, we have all the grace that we need for what Adam did. So the natural question would be in our hearts, if we're thinking in an honorary way, well, if Jesus's sacrifice has given me all the grace that I need, can I do whatever I want? If his grace and goodness and mercy is more than enough to cover up all the bad stuff, is that a license? And this is how Paul answers it in chapter six, verse one. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, so too we may walk in a new way of life. For if we have 
been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, no longer dies. Death no longer rules over him. For in that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So two things happen when you are baptized. Two things happen when you put your faith in Jesus. Jesus was buried and you go under the water. When you come up out of the water, it's just like Jesus came up out of the grave. You're like, well, I wasn't there when Jesus was put in the grave and I wasn't there when Jesus was raised from the grave. But that's the great thing. Jesus says, if you will just receive my invitation, if you'll connect my life, your life to my life through faith, then I will count it as if you were there with me. So I will count you in my death. I died to sin. If you're with me, then you died to sin too. And now you're no longer a slave to sin. So that's the reality. If you are a follower of Jesus today, what we see in your baptism is that you are free from sin. You may like, well, I'm not free from sin. I know I'm not free from sin. I sinned on the way here. In fact, I'm sitting right now because I'm mad at you because you're not done yet. It's like uh, last year sometime we had a tree in our backyard that died. Not a big tree, one of those Home Depot, Lowe's trees, willow tree. And it was really beautiful and sweet. And then it started shedding its leaves and and for the last nine months, it's just been dead in our backyard and I'm praying it's gonna come back, but it's not, it's not, it's dead. But if you came over to our house last summer in the middle of summer when everything was full bloom, you think, what's the matter with these people? Because every week the yard gets mowed and the area around the tree gets mowed. Every week the yard gets trimmed and the area around the tree, tree gets trimmed. Rest of the plants have mulch in them. That tree had fresh mulch in it. Every day the yard gets watered, the dead tree gets watered too. So if you came over to our house and you watched all that, you would think, these people don't know that the tree is dead because they're still doing all the same things that they would do if the tree were alive. And that's where some of us are today. The scripture says that you are free from sin. You are dead to sin. Your relationship with sin is no longer alive. So stop the practice of sinning. So don't keep on sinning. Your connection to sin has been severed. Now you're gonna be tempted. In fact, the very next chapter of Romans, the apostle Paul says, listen, there's like a war that goes on in me. I wanna do the right thing, but I can't do the right thing. And honestly, sometimes I don't even wanna do the right thing. So that's gonna happen. But you're free from sin. And your baptism is proof of that. Your baptism is a declaration. I died with Christ. I went under the water. I'm dead to sin. But more than that, I'm alive to God. Verse four, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, so too we may walk in a new way of life. Then skip down to verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to 
to God in Christ Jesus. So your baptism, when you were under the water and then you were brought up out of the water, it's just like when Jesus was brought up out of the grave and you weren't with him in the grave, but he said, if you're with me, then I count it as if you were there and now you are alive. And who are you alive to? You're alive to God, which is the best news that you're gonna hear all day. Now, if that's not landing on you today, like really good news, just think about if it were the opposite. Think if God said, you're dead to me. If being alive to God doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal, what if he said the opposite and said, you're dead to me? No grace. You don't give grace to people who are dead to you. No kindness, no benefit of the doubt, no mercy, no provision. You don't go out of your way to help people who are dead to you. No listening ear. We're alive to God. And I love how in verse 11, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. He says, think of yourselves as alive to God. When you think about you, you think about you alive to God. This is how you count yourself. When you look in the mirror, you see somebody who is alive to God. It's like about a year and a half ago, we decided that we wanted to take our kids to Disney World. And so we started scrimping and saving and finding pennies in the couch. And if you've ever wondered why, you know, why does Pastor Curtis always wear black? It's because I can only afford one color because we took our kids to Disney World. So we're scrimping and we're saving and we're doing all the things. And we decided we were going to surprise them because we had seen on YouTube parents surprise their kids with Disney World and be like, surprise, we're going to Disney World today. And that just seemed so awesome. And so uh, one Friday they got home from school and we had already packed their bags, put the suitcases in the back of my truck and uh, in the bed and we had a cover on it. So they didn't have any idea what was happening. And so we were home from school for just a little bit and we said, hey, let's go, it's time to go. And they're like, where are we going? We're like, we're going to eat. Our flight was at Hobby Airport, which for us is like a drive across the nation. And, uh, and so it was gonna take us a long time to get there. So we had to make up a reason why we were going to eat all the way across town. And we're like, man, this restaurant is just so good. It's our favorite restaurant, best restaurant we've ever been to. And so they're like, okay, whatever. And so they get lost in what they're doing, looking out the window. I think Annabeth fell asleep and we pull up to the airport. There's the signs everywhere. They still aren't clued in. They just, just don't get it. We get into the parking garage of the airport. They still have no idea what's happening. Amanda and I are giggling. We're so great. I mean, we're having a great time is what we were going to say. We are great. You are great. I think you're awesome. So we get out. They think we're going to a restaurant in a parking garage. I lower down the tailgate and I start pulling out suitcases. to have the phone out so we could get a video of it. We're going to Disney World right now. And man, they hit the roof. Jackson is laughing so hard he's not making any noise. I thought, it, I thought he was going to suffocate right there. And I was like, dude, I already put down the deposit. Like, we got to go. You can't, you can't go to the hospital right now. Oh, it was awesome. Just so great. So great. We had a great time. One of the best weeks of our life. But I want you to imagine a different scenario that it goes down a little bit different way. Same thing, suitcases, surprise. We pull down the tailgate. Imagine this with me. Get the suitcases out. We're going to Disney World. And Annabeth, she screams and she's, yes, yeah, 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 so awesome. But Jackson, he's a more sensitive guy, just got a deep well inside of him. And he, just imagine this with me. 
he pulls me aside and he says, do I get to go too? Be like, of course you get to go. Of course you get to go. If I'm going, you're going. If we're going, you're a part of we. You're in this. Alive to God. That counts for you. That counts for you. You're alive to God. Your prayers will be heard. Will my prayers be heard? Will my prayers not be heard? Your prayers will be heard. You're alive to God. Will God provide for me? Something we're all concerned about right now in this economy. And the answer is yes. He will not let you starve. He will not put you out on the street. That counts for you. Doesn't just count for somebody else. It's for you. Is God gonna forgive me? I've done some pretty rotten stuff. You're alive to God. That counts for you. If it's for someone else, then it's for you. You're a part of this. And for so many of us, we're like, I don't know. I see other people and they're alive to God. And man, fruit is just flying off their lives and so much good stuff. And they're so connected with God and they have a, 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 some kind of special thing going on with him. No, you get to go too. He's not just bringing you back a souvenir of a good time he had with somebody else. That counts for you. And your baptism is proof. See, so many of us, we would think about baptism as just something the church wants you to do. But if you've not been baptized, you have robbed yourself of an anchor for your soul. Because when you have those moments and you're like, I don't know, does God love me or not love me? Will God provide for me? Will God forgive me? Will God do this or that for me? You can go back to the moment that you were plunged under the water. You said, no, I died with him and I'm dead to sin. And you can go back to the, the moment when somebody lifted you up to the, out of the water and say, no, I'm alive and everything that is for the family is for me. And everything that's in here is for me. I'm alive to God. And your baptism is the declaration that you are connected to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what should we do? If you've never been baptized, be baptized. We're doing baptisms right here next week. Don't pray about it. You ever heard a pastor say that? Don't pray about it. Just do it. There is not a world in the Bible in which you would believe in Jesus and have not been baptized. And if you have been baptized, you may be like, I don't feel very dead to sin. Are you still declaring what your baptism declared? And so if you are currently practicing sin, if you're currently doing things like there's life there and there's not, just stop. Stop. You're like, I can't stop. You can't stop because you're dead to sin. You're free from sin. Your baptism is proof of that. Are you alive to God? You declared that you are alive to God. Are you living as though you are alive to God? Are you receiving all that that life is supposed to be for you? And that's why your baptism matters. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We say that every week, but it's real. God, we thank you that you don't waste action. You don't just invent things for us 
to be religious. They have a purpose in our lives. And so I pray that we would leave today knowing and understanding just a glimpse of what the purpose of baptism is. And so we follow you into the water and we follow you out of it. I pray that our church would always be a church where people come to believe and are baptized. And I pray for many in this room that next week will be their week when they declare publicly, I'm a part of the people of God and I am connected deeply to the death and resurrection of Jesus. I pray all these things according to the greatest name that's ever been spoken, Jesus.